Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Eric Devonier, and I'm here with David Pulsifer, professor of history at BYU-Idaho. Welcome, David. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a, a seventh generation Latter-day Saint. Grew up in the Salt Lake area. Makes me very uninteresting uh, in terms of how, uh, uh, in terms of my church background, but. Uh, I grew up in the Salt Lake area, went to uh, BYU, served a mission in Pennsylvania, uh, been married uh, for about 27 years, have six children, live here in Rexburg, been here about 22 years. Um, it's been a, a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so, so tell me, what got you interested in history? In history? Uh, that's an interesting question because I don't know that I had any moment where history suddenly um, grabbed me and um, uh, but I grew up with a deep sense of the family history and um, then I served a mission in Pennsylvania where I served in Gettysburg we also served in the um, our mission had the site of the re priesthood restoration um, and uh, I think there was just kind of an ethos of of, of historical experience that seemed to follow me wherever I went uh, and uh, over time that just seemed to be the natural place where I gravitated to. I wasn't necessarily really into history as a, as a child or a teenager and uh, even at BYU I studied American studies which is a study of American culture more than it is American history but over the course of my graduate work, I gradually shifted more from literature into history and, uh, and then ended up being hired here to teach history. I think it was more in the teaching of history than anything that I really discovered an interest in, in, in it. So. Yeah. What, what was it about the teaching of history that, that stood out to you or that attracted you to it? Uh, I've always just been interested in the human experience um, and in the uh, lives of, um, of uh, individuals who've shaped the world in one way or another, uh, mostly those who have left positive impact on the world. And um, I think in many ways my search for history has also been connected to my search for God. Uh, you know, understanding the, experience, the human experience helps me understand the uh, the mortal experience and and the divine a little bit better. So. And and in um, in that searching for for God and, and and for truth, tell us a little bit about your background with with the church. Your seventh generation member of the church. Uh -huh. so you have a long family history. But what about for you personally, growing up? How did your mm -hmm. testimony develop? Well, I was uh, as a very young child. I felt very close to God. Um, I uh, was uh, kind of, I, I never had any particular uh, questions about, you know, God's existence or anything. I felt that uh, God was there, deeply involved in my life. Um, as I grew into my teenage years, uh, and, and I had parents, I had a father uh, in particular who always was very open with us about his own spiritual experiences. I grew up with, I knew, I knew I had a father who felt the spirit, felt revelation in his life. 
and would share those experiences with me. I knew I had ancestors that had had experiences. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, that, and then I also, I, I had uh, on my mother's side another kind of rich legacy that went back as well. And uh, I had a grandmother who served actually in the um, general, as one of the general officers of the church. She was young women, general young women's president. And so I kind of, I, I felt her testimony in faith growing up. Um, when I was in my teenage years, however, I, uh, I was sitting in seminary one day, a 15-year-old sophomore, um, and uh, I was, went to a school that was 70% LDS, so we had a big seminary class. And uh, I remember sitting in there and thinking uh, suddenly, and I don't even know what prompted it, it seemed to literally come out of left field, no preparation for it. I had the thought, what if this whole thing is a hoax? Hmm. Uh, and it startled me because I had always felt close to God as a child and, yeah. and I realized in that moment that I no longer knew if there even was a God. It wasn't just, what if Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon is a hoax? What if God doesn't exist? And I had this startling revelation that I didn't know if God existed uh, anymore. And uh, that kind of started a process for me to find out. So I began uh, making changes in my life that I, uh, I realized I had stopped praying. I wasn't really living mm -hmm. according to the truth that I had known as a child. Uh, and so I think I trusted enough in my childhood memories to know that maybe there was something I could recover um, mm -hmm. if I worked hard enough at it. So, And so you went through that, that process. I mean, that's really interesting because yeah. you're surrounded by um, you know, all of the, you would imagine the external influences mm -hmm. that could help faith continue, right, right, and keep going. But you just have this one sort of split-second existential crisis, <laughs> and, yes. that, and that leads you to, to asking these questions. And so from there, um, how did you go about recovering that, that faith? Well, it, was in, it involved making some changes uh, in my life, and mm -hmm. more particular, I began to, to pray. But the thing that was hard was I didn't know if anyone was actually listening. So mm -hmm. I began praying without any real sense that my prayers were going any further than the ceiling of my bedroom. Um, but I began reading the scriptures. Uh, we happened to be um, in the Book of Mormon that, that year. And uh, my teacher, seminary teacher, called me into his office at the end of the year and said, I'll give you an A, which I didn't deserve at all. <laughs> he says, uh, if you promise me, you'll read the Book of Mormon by, by the end of the summer. And of course, the summer went by, and about August, um, I realized that right? <laughs> I hadn't been reading the Book of Mormon, and I started reading it um, uh, feverishly because... Uh, to, to, uh, uh, wanting to be true to that promise, um, if nothing else, uh, really at that point, um, I started reading it feverishly. I literally finished it 15 minutes before school started and uh, was able to go in and tell him I finished the Book of Mormon. Wow. But that next year was the Old Testament. 
And uh, it may seem strange, but that was the year that I really discovered the scriptures. Mm. Uh, the, the Old Testament became the place where I really uh, fell in love with, with the scriptures. And I continued to pray, but at the same time, I was, I was enjoying my scripture study. Um, I was praying, but I still really had no clear mm. sense that God really existed. Yeah. Um, and uh, later that year, I... Uh, received a because I was from the all outward appearances if you'd known me you would have thought there was nothing going on because right. I was that kid who kind of knew the answers in Sunday school even in a kind of smart alecky kid who kind of knew the knew the answers in the Sunday school so I uh, uh, so and I my my all outward appearances I would look I look like I was you know the model young man in priesthood but I really inside had mm was going through, uh, you know, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so my junior year, at the end of my junior year, I was um, called to be, uh, in my high school, it was called the seminary uh, student body, or the st seminary council president, which, okay. because we had so many, and we had a really set time seminary, it was kind of like receiving the, uh, an assignment to be like in a shadow student body um, group and uh, my responsibility was to call everybody else and to find out who God wanted to have on the council oh, Wow! and that created a major problem for me sure. because I didn't know if God was really there and if he was how to know if he was speaking to me um, so I was really blessed to have a good mentor and the seminary advisor who was uh, David Schuler, and he uh, listened to me and coached me and walked me through it. Um, I accepted the calling and then started the process of going through studying it out in my mind, trying to figure out who. Um, and to make a very long story short, um, uh, after many attempts at prayer that had failed, um, uh, one night I, uh, as I went to the Lord in prayer, um, I, because uh, one of the things that I had been struggling with is how do I know if it's emotion or the spirit? Right. Yeah. That was my biggest quandary. Yeah. How can I tell if this is coming from inside of me or if it's coming from externally? And I had no way of, of discerning that difference. Um, and one night when I went to the, to the Lord in prayer for the very first time, I felt a spirit that came in and, and confirmed some things that uh, the specific things I was praying about, but that in the end was the most important thing. The more, most important thing for me was to I felt the the power of God's love in such a way that I knew it was from beyond me. I had no doubt that that was mm -hmm. coming from the outside of me. It was like, and the thing that was most shocking to me at that moment was to realize that I'd been feeling this my whole life. I just hadn't recognized it that it was like the volume got turned up right right um, but, yeah. but how valuable right to yeah. to know it for yourself because mm -hmm. in some ways you know having having all of the the externalities right of the church mm -hmm. you know and, and being so ensconced um, in some ways can sometimes what uh, maybe keep you right mm -hmm. from having a personal response or a right. personal relationship or to know for sure individually yeah. and, uh, and and you were able to find that that and I testimony. needed that. I couldn't yeah. continue on without that. I, yeah. I had to know. I came to the point where I had to know for myself. Yeah. And that was 
yeah, it, growing up with all of that around, but part of it, growing up with all, everything around me, led me to know that I could, or at least gave me hope that I could, could know. Yeah. I could have that experience. I could have a personal experience. So I left that night knowing that God was real and God was in relationship with me. Um, and if that was true, he was in relationship with everyone. Um, and I didn't know anything else beyond that, but I knew that. Um, and I had a, uh, and that, I've never had an experience to that level again. Um, that became kind of an anchor to which I've gone yeah. back repeatedly. So. Well, and, and that anchor, you know, it's interesting coming back to history and your, and your mm -hmm. love of history and American culture. Um, you know, we, there are um, people who have a lot of historical issues, right, with, with church history and, and, and those types of things. There are, mm -hmm. there are things like in, in every history, it's hard to know exactly what happened, right, mm -hmm. and putting together pieces. And, we can and, never know for sure. Yeah, you can never know for sure. And, and there are some historical questions um, that are difficult, historical questions that, that pose a lot of challenges for, for people. So as you have that, you know, foundational experience with, with the spirit, uh, with, with your testimony. Um, have you had any experiences uh, with any, any of the tensions that we see between um, you know, the, the church and, and church history in particular? Well, that's something that's been essentially a part of my whole life. Um, uh, the difficult problems of church history have, are an integral part of my family history. So um, I'm a seventh generation Latter-day Saint, but one of those generational lines goes back to John D. Lee. So I'm a descendant of a man who helped, you know, orchestrate the murder of 120 people um, and did it in the name of his faith. Right? Right. And, um, and I've known that since I was a very small child. I can remember learning about it when I was six, seven, eight years old. Um, I'm not and, sure exactly just, how old. So just for those so that don't know, right? Mountain Meadow Massacre. Right. The Mountain Meadows Massacre, right? Yeah. So my my great 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 grandfather organized it. Um, uh, he was the the principal leader on the ground yeah. for that experience. And then and and for you, that, that I mean, that's a combination of your your love of of history, right? Your mm -hmm. love of of the study of humanity in the past and those narratives and then also the family narrative right, right? i mean that just right and the family narrative was interesting because the family narrative growing up was that he did nothing wrong he could he um there was no the family was in a denial yeah. largely about his role and there was a, a very strong family narrative that wanted to exonerate him that wanted to to say well his gun didn't go off and and there's no way to prove that he actually killed anybody, and and wow. he was a good man. Yeah. And uh, and I remember even as a child, um, wrestling with that because it didn't seem quite right. That narrative didn't seem quite right. On the other hand, the idea that he was a total monster, that he was a depraved, mm -hmm. sadistic man, didn't seem right either. Right. Um, and actually, the very first historical thing, uh, very first academic paper that I ever published, it was in the student uh, journal at BYU, was an essay grappling with these two versions of my grandfather wow. and trying to say, isn't there some way that we can understand him as a complex human being 
as a person who had deep faith and was trying to do what was right, but also somebody who made some really serious errors, in part based upon the very things that made him a strong uh, defender of the faith. That those very same character traits are also what leads him down a really right. horrific right. road and some really tragic ch choices that he makes. And, and, and I was pushing back against both the I found myself pushing against the extremes, the, 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 those who want to paint him in this really awful light, and those who wanted to, to in my family, that wanted to just redeem him and, mm -hmm. and, and exonerate him of any you know, responsibility in, the, in the, what happened. And uh, it seemed to me, I, I think, I didn't realize that at the time, but that's kind of the, where I began really formulating my sense that history's messy and complicated. And, right. And um, that we can, it, that the whole picture is usually em embraces both the good and the bad. Yeah, so. Because so that's, a, that's yeah. a very personal example, right, mm -hmm. of, of that messiness of, of history, the nuances of history. Because mm -hmm. it seems like, and, and you know, you can respond to this if, I, if mm -hmm. I'm out of bounds, but it seems like the farther away we get from a historical moment, um, the easier it is, I think, to us to uh, look past the nuances mm -hmm. and to, to want to categorize quite quickly. I mean, it just makes the narrative of history easier, mm -hmm. right, to, to follow along if we know who the, the good guys are, the bad guys are. This is someone we don't right. like, um, you know, some historical figure. When in fact, uh, as an expert in history, what you find as you go back, that there are, um, there are things around the narrative, maybe mm -hmm. above and below the narrative that, that challenge some of those labels we want to put on things that, that we weren't there to witness. Right. I mean, I ask myself all the time because it's in my DNA. My, mm. my ancestor did this, made these choices. What, what choices would I have made if I'd been back there? If I'd been yeah. in the heat of that moment, would I have had the courage to push against the, the mob mentality that basically took over? Or would I have had uh, would I have gone along with it, you know? And I and the 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 tragic thing is I don't can't really say for sure which way I would have gone. Um, I would like to hope that I would have had the courage to. to there were a few that did, not my ancestors, yeah. but others, who stood up and said, "No, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this." Um, but they were the minority, and most right. of the people went along with it, and they went along with it in part because they were thought they were protecting their community, and they thought they were doing something good, but in the end, they doing something horrible. So yeah, they, knowing the complexity helps me realize that, that we're, we all have the division of good and evil running through our own hearts, and we, we make choices all the time which lead us to one side or the other. Yeah, so, so, so it sounds like that, that nuance, right, and that mm -hmm. understanding that we all have that part of us, and then what you're watching in, in particular with your relative with the Mountain Meadows Massacre is how does that happen? How does someone who is, you, you believe is, is faithful and good end up doing something that, mm -hmm. um, that is um, tragic at, mm -hmm. at best? Right. Um, and horrific. And horrific. Um, but it sounds like that, that understanding that nuance also, as you look back in time, helps with your testimony. Mm -hmm. uh, understanding that that doesn't affect your belief in the gospel as much as it does, I mean, it doesn't affect your, your testimony or your sense of the gospel as much as it does understanding 
how human beings respond in a particular historical moment. Yeah, I, I think partly because I knew these, these things were a part of our family history, and mm-hmm. partly because I had a grandmother, again, who was kind of in the you know, upper echelons of church leadership, and I grew up with no illusions that there were perfect leaders uh, and and I knew that there's a difference between God and his human uh, servants right and that um, that just because people made poor make poor choices or do things you know as we all do um, doesn't negate God's reality yeah. and his efforts to reach out to his children and to guide them and direct them through imperfect vessels and so on. So seeing, uh, I, uh, for me, um, my faith is actually strengthened by looking at the good that God does with such imperfect beings. I mean, I look at John D. Lee, who for, for all of his faults still was an instrument for good in many instances. Obviously, in this instance, he was kind of um, uh, betraying the truth, yeah. but in many other instances he, he, he was an instrument in God's hands to do good in, in the world. Uh, and being able to hold both of those ideas at the same time in some ways actually gives me hope because you know I'm so imperfect and, and uh, knowing that maybe I can be an instrument at some time in, in God's hands to do good even though I'm oftentimes making choices that hurt. Uh, and 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 they're not helpful. But. And, and so let me ask you this question. So with, with this background, you know, thinking about your experience with um, looking back at your ancestor and, and looking through history, how do you help your students gain that type of insight, either with with history itself or with, with church history in particular? One of the things I focus with constantly with students is that you um, history is. Is, is complex and that a, a good historian and the historians that I respect are ones who approach history with a high degree of with, with two really important qualities. One is humility, mm-hmm. a sense that we don't know everything and because we can't know everything there are elements of human lives and decisions and, and circumstances that we'll just never be able to access from our point in history. Um, so we always have to go in with the sense that what we know is limited, um, and um, and and any any interpretation of the past that we come up with is going to be um, provisional. We, it's always going to be likely subject to change. So um, so you start with humility, uh, and then the second thing is you uh, I, the best historians always go to their subjects with a high degree of charity. They need to be willing to. Um, uh, see the past through the lens of forgiveness and, 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 and charity. I, um, I discovered this as a student at, at a gra- in graduate school. I was studying um, the um, anti-polygamy um, uh, legislation that had been passed in Congress in the 1880s and, I w- and then court decisions. And uh, I have another grandfather 
ancestor who was the first case that was prosecuted for polygamy. So I grew up with polygamy in Mountain Meadows. So I, you know, wow, so they, yeah. so they, they were just kind of always in the background of the family story. Yeah. Um, and so there was never a moment when, when those kind of burst onto my mental stage. Right. Um, so uh, I'm studying these, these um, court cases and I'm reading these congressional debates and I'm angry at the way in which certain hypocrisies were coming out. Uh, uh, members of Congress who had mistresses and oh, and, right. and, and, mm -hmm. and countenanced all sorts of, of immoral acts who were then, you know, calling on Latter-day Saints as, as uh, highly immoral uh, beings. And, and, uh, and I, I remember just getting angrier and angrier, and I couldn't understand how they could be so cruel to my people as I saw it. You know, it's being very right. tribal. Right. And uh, uh, as I'm, I'm sitting, I can still remember, sitting in the University of Minnesota um, government section of their library, which is always like in the dungeon of every library, and um, sitting there at this big metal table and, and reading these debates, because, you know, nothing was online at that point. I'm, I'm reading them in the books, and I'm getting angrier and angrier. And I remember having a moment where uh, I almost heard a voice. It felt like, but the, the message was clear. I didn't hear an actual, you know, physical voice, but the message came very clear to me. You have to forgive them. And uh, and I realized at that moment I did. I had to forgive these people who had hurt my 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 uh, my people. Yeah. And uh, and as I forgave them. I began to understand them. It wasn't until I forgave them that I could understand them. Um, and I could understand how they were doing things they thought were right, and that they were doing, they were doing what they thought was going to make the world better. Even if I didn't agree right. with what they did, and even if I could see hypocrisies that they couldn't, I, they're still working um, with greater, they were still trying to do good in the world. And I, and I gave them, the, as you give them the benefit of the doubt, I could, the logic of what they were doing started to become clear. And that became the basis, ultimately, of my dissertation, yeah. was the logic of, of enforcing the standard of monogamy and why, and, and ultimately I looked at the way that, that happened on Indian reservations, where a lot of harm was done to Indian families as they tried to enforce right. kind of European standards of marriage and, and onto Native Americans. And, and I was looking at the parallels between what was happening with Latter-day Saints and what was happening with Native Americans. Um, and so the whole dissertation came out of that moment, really. If I hadn't forgave them, I, uh, forgiven them, I wouldn't have mm -hmm. had the insights that came later came from being able to let go of the anger I had towards them. And I think that's just that moment and since I've noticed that there are historians who approach history with malice who approach it with a chip on their shoulder, who, uh, who want to prove a point, who want to, to settle scores. Uh, and uh, those kinds of histories I don't think are helpful and I don't think they're um, useful generally, but um, those who approach their, their subjects with charity and, yeah. and humility generally write the best histories. And I think it's a good model for church history. There's, you're going to look back and you're going to find you know, in any human record uh, of uh, you're going to find instances of incredible mistakes and and pain, and and um, you have to. I've learned to apply the same principle when I run into instances in 
in church history. I, forgiveness and humility help me to see them as people struggling to, to find God, making mistakes, sometimes horrific mistakes like, like Mountain Meadows, um, and think they're doing it some, even sometimes in the defense of the kingdom yeah. and, and, in the, in, in, and in God's name. Um, and giving them, uh, having charity uh, helps me to understand them at least, even if I don't agree with them. And then ultimately to see God working with, yeah. again, very flawed people. But uh, if you don't go in with a sense of charity and, hum and forgiveness, it's, you're going to be angry right. a lot right. of the time at, at, at things people do. And so let me ask you one final question. Um, yeah. And I, I, love, I love that response about um, charity and, and humility. I mean, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a great, great lesson for history, but it's a great lesson for everything that we do, right, mm -hmm. as we encounter uh, people. Um, but just any, any piece of, pieces of advice that you have um, for people who are dealing with questions of church history? Um, probably my biggest piece of advice is to always remember that, that the church and its leaders, um, from prophets down to local leaders to, to parents, um, the whole institution of the church is designed to bring us to God, but is not God. Um, and uh, the vehicle uh, is always imperfect and will always uh, stumble at times. Um, but I think it's important to realize that our faith is not in the church. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in our Heavenly Father. Um, uh, and, and that the church is designed to bring us to them, but not to be the end. You know, it's it's the means, um, and I think if um, sometimes I think people uh, get clouded about that, they think that the church is the is somehow the um, the the end, uh, and that our faith is in it, uh, when uh, our faith is really uh, it's it's pointing us to where our faith should be, and. Uh, and it does, it will always, um, again, be imperfect in, in that because it's human and, yeah. and, and God's working with what he has to work with, uh, which in my case is, you know, not a lot. <laughs> so he's, uh, but, but he still manages to do some really incredible things with yeah. pretty imperfect people. So I, I think um, uh, there's sometimes a sense that the church has to be, uh, perfect in order to be endorsed as, uh, as God's church, but I think it's the very fact that it's human means that it's never going to be, and therefore it will never meet some, if you're looking for the perfect institution, you're gonna, you're, you'll never find it, mm. you know, even in history, right. you know, as wonderful yeah, of all, yeah, it's, yeah, maybe even especially in history yeah. or in the present day, right? It's always going to be uh, uh, a work in progress. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for the opportunity.